Good morning, family. Um, it's such a pleasure to be with you this morning to uh, kick off our new sermon series uh, on unwrapping uh, the present. Um, I just recently had my birthday this past week. I'm finally 30. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know what I was expecting when I woke up. Um, I thought there was going to be a shift in the atmosphere that, okay, finally, now I'm like a serious age. Um, nothing happened. It was just another day. Uh, <laughs> but I'm really, I'm truly thankful. I also had my anniversary also um, this past week as well. Been th- married three years now, so lovely, Sianda. Um, this morning when we were busy asking uh, in the pre-service meeting, when we were asking what are we grateful for, uh, and I truly am grateful to be married to my wife. Um, I chose well. Um, I really did. I really did. Because <laughs> uh, I, I actually think back um, over our three years of marriage, um, it has been filled with a lot of challenges and a lot of um, difficult moments, yet my wife has handled them with so much grace. Um, things that could have broken up other marriages, yet we have never had a crisis moment. And I was just like, Lord, truly, truly thankful for, for who you've blessed me with. Um, yes, sorry, just had to start by honoring my wife. Because um, <laughs> she's the best gr- uh, present that I've unwrapped. Um, <laughs> Yes, before this goes further south, welcome. Um, the real pastor will be back next week. Sorry. <laughs> um, yes, so could you please turn with me to John chapter 1, uh, verse 29. Um, and so this morning we'll be talking about the Lamb of God. Um, this is what we're kicking off our sermon series with. It is the Lamb of of God. And so, you know, one of the things um, I love about Lamb, this past Thursday we had our staff uh, year in social, and we had a lot of Lamb. And I was like, Lord, I'm truly grateful that you decided to call yourself the Lamb of God, because Lamb is a very tasty meat. Didn't call himself the goat of God, didn't call himself the cow of God, the mutton of God. No, 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 it's the Lamb. Tender, juicy, succulent. Um, Um. Yes, the Lamb of God. So, could you please stand uh, as we read the word this morning? So, John John chapter 1, verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. It says the following. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself this morning through your word, that we'll behold your beauty, behold your glory, would behold your love, would behold all that you are. Any other thing, Father, that we are beholding, I pray that you would illuminate them to us so that, Father, we can stop beholding those things and behold you. Father, I pray for each and every single word that I speak, that you would be the one to speak through me. Whatever thoughts and ideas I have that are not from you, I surrender them at your throne. I surrender them at your feet. Speak to your children. Speak to your sons and daughters. Holy Spirit, lead us into your truth. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, in this text, we have John the Baptist. So, John the Baptist uh, was a very wild character. Uh, he was dressed in camel's hair. Uh, he was eating wild honey, and he was in the desert roaming around, busy declaring that Jesus is coming. 
Uh, and in John chapter 1, we see one of the testimonies that John the Baptist shares is that he has never seen Jesus, yet he has a revelation of Jesus. And he's very excited at the prospect of Jesus coming into the earth. And so he's busy preparing the way for Jesus, telling people that he is unworthy uh, to untie the straps on his shoes. Just that's how awesome, that's how great Jesus is. He's preaching repentance. He's baptizing people. He's doing a lot of things for the kingdom. And people think he is great. And he says, no, there's one who is greater that is coming. Then Jesus rocks up onto the scene. And as Jesus rocks up, his first words he says is, behold. And so when John the Baptist says, behold, he is calling attention to Jesus. He is calling attention to say, we have seen so many other things. There's a lot of things that are happening. There's so many things that are taking our attention. But what is coming next is worthy of our attention. It is worthy of us focusing on something great, something awesome. Someone who is amazing is coming. So we need to behold. There's a popular saying that I've heard that we become what we behold, right? And so the more you behold something, the more you become like it. And so if you watch a lot of series and you're watching a lot of TV, you are beholding those things. And so if your thoughts and your words and your actions and your attitudes start to mirror what you see on TV, that is simply because you are beholding what you see on TV. If you're like me and you're a soccer fan, you're always watching soccer and you're beholding soccer, your thoughts, your, actions, your attitudes and, your, and your, your, your actions start to mirror that of soccer simply because that is what you are continually beholding. If you're growing up in an environment with brokenness, with, with abuse around you, with drunkenness around you, that's the environment you end up beholding and then you end up becoming like that simply because that's what you are beholding. And so when John the Baptist is calling the, the, the audience to behold Jesus, the one who, is take, who takes away the sins of the world, he's calling them to stop focusing on other things, stop looking at other things, but to behold Jesus, to become like Jesus. <coughs> In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it speaks of um, as we behold Jesus, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Is that as we behold Jesus, we become more and more like Jesus. The less we behold Jesus, the less like Jesus we become, simply because there are other things that are competing for our attentions. There are other things that we are beholding above Jesus. And the context in which John is speaking to is that, remember now, there's Pharisees. We ended up with um, the prophets uh, in the Old Testament. The prophets came, and then there was 400 years of silence, and then John the Baptist is there now. Not only is John the Baptist there, but now there's Pharisees. It is simply because in the Israelite, Israelite community, there was a lot of things people were beholding, and they weren't beholding God. And as I started thinking about this, I'm like, you know, a lot of time when I read scripture, I judge the Pharisees. And I actually started realizing that, hey, actually, um, it's so easy to become like a Pharisee, simply because the Pharisees wanted the worship of God to be restored amongst the Israelites. And so they beheld the word of God. They strictly observed the word of God. They did everything that the word of God told them to do. But what they were beholding was words on a piece of paper rather than the word that became flesh. In John chapter 1, when it begins, it speaks about the word becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us. 
And so when the Pharisees were looking at the word, when the Pharisees were trying to bring people back into right worship, when the Pharisees were devoting their lives, they were devoting themselves to words on a piece of paper. They were not devoting themselves to the word that became God. No, that the word that became flesh, because that word is God. They knew the authority of the scripture, but they didn't know the power of the scriptures. They felt it necessary that in their own strength, in their own doing, in their own trying, they can become like Jesus. But they completely missed the mark because they missed the whole point of the gospel. You see, in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, There we saw the first sacrifice, right? And so God sacrificed an animal and he clothed them um, in uh, the the, the animal skins so that they would become holy, um, so that they could cover that sin, so that Jesus could appease that sin. And so naturally everyone after that started doing animal sacrifices simply because they thought, This is the best way to appease God, is that we are trying uh, to stop God from being angry at us. And so therefore we will sacrifice animals so that God is not angry. I've seen myself that I do my Christianity that way from time to time, is that I want to please God, therefore I'm just gonna do things to make him happy so that he's not angry at me. Because salvation offers us the free gift of eternal life. That one day we'll get to heaven. And so it's like, I need to ensure that one day I will definitely get to heaven. But in that moment, I've stopped believing in the word that became flesh. And I started believing words on a piece of paper. That my priority is the words on the piece of paper rather than relationship with God. The reason why God in his anger sacrifice that animal so that, people, so that uh, Adam and Eve can have a relationship with him is because of relationship. A lot of time we believe that the animal sacrifice happens simply for, to quench God's anger, to stop his wrath from coming against us. But if we stuck there and if we remain there, we'll end up in religion rather than seeing the reason why he's angry, seeing the reason why he had to sacrifice that animal. Yes, he was angry. Yes, sin does demand um, a penalty to be paid. But the reason, the ultimate reason why he was angry is because he created us for himself. And as soon as we realize that when he sacrificed that animal is so that he can have relationship with us. In the Exodus account where we finally see the Lamb of God, um, where in Exodus 11, where Jesus, I mean, where God tells the Israelite community, and he tells Moses to tell Pharaoh that, hey, I've done all these, mir- these signs and these miracles, and now the last one is that I'm going to kill every single firstborn in Egypt, every single one. Animal, chicken, goat, pig, fish, frog, human, I am killing every single firstborn. Go tell Pharaoh. Moses goes and he tells Pharaoh this is what God is going to do. Then God tells Mo- Moses a further instruction to tell the Israelites to take a lamb, without blemish, that is a firstborn and that is male, and sacrifice that lamb, take its blood and put it on the doorpost so that when I come and I kill every single firstborn, I will pass over your household because of the blood of the lamb. 
And so the Israelites did that. They killed the lamb. They put the blood on the, on the doorpost. And so God skipped over every single household that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. But on the houses where there wasn't the blood of the lamb, he killed any and everything. I can imagine that story being passed down from generation to generation. That even uh, thousands of late, years later, when other Israelites were reading the scriptures, they saw that. And it's so easy that when you're looking at words on a page to focus on that action and thinking, I need to start making sacrifices so that I don't die, so that I don't one day end up in hell, so that I can quench God's anger. When John the Baptist came and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, he's saying, guys, We've just been killing aimlessly for many years. We have been killing these poor, innocent animals. We've been spilling their blood so that we can appease God's anger. When he says, behold, is that there is something greater. There is something better. There is something more than just appeasing God's anger. When we behold, we get to have relationship with God. When we behold, we get to commune with God and see him face to face. And the lamb is just a sacrifice that enables us to enter into that divine relationship with God. It's not something that, that buys us safety and security from judgment. It's not something that buys us and just quenches um, the anger of God. Yes, it does all that. But it does all that so that we can behold God so that we can have relationship with God, so that we can commune with God, so that we can talk to God as children and him as our father. That was the whole point about the lamb of God, just saying, behold, behold, there is something better. And so here's a photo of a lamb I have for you guys. And it's so easy that when you behold this, this is innocent um, for those of you who don't know, lambs are around 2,500 rand to 3,000 rand, depending on how big the lamb is and its gender. And so now imagine now every Sunday we had to come together um, because in Leviticus, as a sin offering, a lamb had to be slaughtered by the priest, two lambs for each family. So every single Sunday, you're spending about 2,500 rand to 3,000 rand to slaughter this lamb so that your sins can be atoned for. John the Baptist was saying, behold, you don't have to spend that money anymore. <laughs> God has provided the perfect lamb. This is the last lamb. After this lamb, there will be no other lamb anymore. There will be no other lamb because this lamb will take away your sins. This lamb will not just appease God, but it will take away your sins. The problem with the old system was that it just appeased God. It was just a sin offering to say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. That lamb had no power to restore you. Um, that lamb had no power to take away your sins. All it did was just was a sin offering. It just appeased God's anger. And a lot of the time, people got stuck in just appeasing God's anger and not moving from just God's anger to relationship with God. Again, in the Exodus account, when Moses was speaking to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go so that they may worship me. That the lamb was slaughtered, or the blood was put on doorposts, and people were let go. They were finally free, but they forgot to do the second part of why they were let go, which was to worship God. 
How often is our Christianity just focused on appeasing God? How often is our, fo- our Christianity just focused on making God happy and not, gradu- and not moving to a place where we worship God? We get stuck in doing church religiously. We get stuck in reading the Bible religiously. <coughs> we get stuck in even praying religiously rather than doing it for a place for, for intimacy, for connection, for access that we have to God. When Moses was speaking, saying, let my people go so they may go worship me, Moses was speaking from a place where he had friendship with God. He had intimacy with God. And so when he's speaking God's word, he's speaking a living word. It's not just speaking words on a piece of paper. It's not just speaking a religious thing that people are supposed to do, but he's speaking a life-giving word. That once you have slaughtered this lamb and now you are free from Pharaoh, worship. But the people went to the desert and they did not worship. They were stuck in their sins. This lamb takes away the sins of the world. Because this is what God the Father demanded. This is the payment that he needed for for our sins. And because of our sin, Jesus takes away those sins. He's the only one who has the power to take away those sins. When we get saved, we get saved for relationship with God. We get saved so that we have uh, fellowship and communion with him. But he doesn't want to leave us full of sin. He doesn't want to leave us uh, living a life full of sin and, and repeating generational patterns as well. But he wants us to become holy like he is holy. He wants us to become like his son. And so if in our Christianity and in our relationship with God, we are not overcoming sin, the question we have to ask ourselves is, Lord, am I truly beholding you? If I'm not beholding you, what is it that I'm beholding? What is it that's captured my mind? What is it that has captured my heart? What is it that I am putting priority and attention to above you? Because the gospel is clear that it it sets us free from the power of sin. And a lot of times when we, we, we do things, we don't remember that it has power. We do it just to appease God, just so that I can get saved. And when judgment day comes, I know that I'll be part of the elect few who get to be um, in heaven with God. But God has so much more for us. Because simply because even that day when judgment comes and God says, well done, my good and faithful servant, and we get to be with him uh, in heaven forever, what are we going to do? We are going to worship we are going to behold him 24-7. We'll be singing, holy, holy, holy. And if we are struggling in our lives to sing, holy, 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 what is eternity going to look like? Because that's all that's going to happen in eternity is us singing, holy, holy, holy. As you wake up in the morning in heaven, holy, holy, holy are the first words that come out of your mouth. As you go to sleep, it's holy, holy, holy. We'll be all just beholding God every single day. And if we're struggling to do it on this side of eternity, it shows us that our, our, our heart motive isn't the right one. It shows us that what we are beholding isn't God. It shows us what we are beholding isn't the gospel. 
Because the more we behold the gospel, the more we behold Jesus, the more we have relationship with him, the more we start to become like him, the more worship overflows in our life, the more prayer starts to overflow in our lives, the more evangelism starts to overflow in our lives simply because we are beholding Jesus. And as we behold him, we start to see sin leave us because he takes it away. There's nothing we can do to take our sins away absolutely nothing. We can try in our own strength. We can really try. I've tried it before, guys. I've tried it. I've done it for a few years, and I end up falling back into the same sin patterns simply because I was doing it in my own strength, and I do not have enough strength to take away my sin. But God, in his wisdom, in his power, in his authority, he has enough power not only to take away my sins, but the sins of the whole world. He has power to do that. Not only does he have power to take away the sins of the world because it's so easy to see the world and say he will take away all the world's sins, but he can take away your sins. The sins that you feel you are struggling with, the things that you feel, God, I will never be able to get over this. He is able to get over that. One of the things I've, um, I've struggled with um, from a very young age is uh, an addiction to pornography. And I had actually gotten to a place where I'd resigned myself to say, this is a part of me. All men struggle with some form of sexual sin or another, therefore it's okay. I'll struggle with this forever. Um, but that's simply because I was in that area of my life, I wasn't beholding Jesus. When I see scripture that says, not even a hint of sexual immorality, all I could think of is that I don't have it within me to stop sinning. Therefore, it's okay for me to not experience the power of that word because I can't do it. Therefore, I ended up living in defeat, not being aware that he takes away my sins. He takes away this specific sin that I thought I was going to live with for the rest of my life. That now I can, because I've been beholding him in this area, because I've been submitting my heart and surrendering to relationship with him and telling him, Lord, I am struggling in this area. I have seen him take away that sin to a point where now I finally believe when the word says not even a hint of sexual immorality, I believe it because I know I've seen him who spoke that word. Therefore, it's not just words on a piece of paper, but it's words coming from my father's very mouth. And those words are what give me power to be able to break free from the power of sin. So that in that area, I am able to worship God. When it comes to how we even handle our finances, the word of God has so much to say about finances. And if we are going to live in such a way where we are not beholding Jesus and what he has to say around our finances, we'll continually live in defeat in that area. So what area is it? What sins are you struggling with currently where you feel like I am stuck here? I am never going to see victory. This sin will be a part of me until the day I die. Because I promise you and I guarantee you that he has the power to take that sin away. But all you have to do, it's very simple. It's just to admit, I can't do anything about this. But Jesus, you can. Therefore, I'm going to behold you in this area until you take the sin away. 
Lord, what is it that I'm beholding that's keeping the sin, that's giving it a foothold in my life? What doors have I opened that has allowed the sin to come into my life and make itself a resident in my life? Because clearly that door that I've opened is what I'm beholding day to day. But the more we behold Jesus, the more we behold the Lamb of God, we will see that he takes away that sin. And from there we are able to worship because he takes away that sin, not us. We can't do it in our own strength. And so as we head into the Christmas season, let us remember to behold Jesus. It's so easy in this time to behold family traditions. So easy to behold family drama, family dysfunctions. It's so easy to behold those things. Um, for, for the longest of times, there was one year where by accident, I don't even know how it happened, because um, we always have chicken, and then this one year we had leg of lamb, and then I made the leg of lamb, and then it became family tradition to eat leg of lamb. Um, and now I'm remembering that, man, every time I made that leg of lamb, that was an opportunity for me to even remind myself of the gospel, rather to behold everything that's happening around the gospel rather than to behold what the dysfunctions that are happening in my family, because Christmas can be tense, simply because now all of a sudden you're at home, you're with family all the time, all the sin starts to erupt. Uh, you even forget you're a Christian, it's just, it's just so bad. But that's simply because in those moments, I'm beholding anything and everything but Jesus. Therefore, this, my sins, the sins of my family just remain there strong because I'm not beholding Jesus. I'm not leading my family into beholding Jesus. I lead my family into beholding this leg of lamb rather than beholding the lamb that was slain. And so as I closed, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want you to think of that very thing that you feel like, man, I'll never be able to get over this. This sin, this challenge, this struggle is something that I will have for the rest of my life. It has just basically become a part of me. And I want you to picture yourself holding that sin in your hand. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would reveal yourself in the same way that John was, was busy speaking about you and then there you were and he called us to behold, to see your beauty, to see your glory, to see your holiness. May you reveal your beauty, your glory and your holiness right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray that we would all be bold enough to take that sin and to hand it over to you. To surrender our hearts, to surrender our minds, to surrender our affections to you. And I pray that you would show us what you are giving us in return for that, for those for those sins we are handing over, for those things that we are beholding above you.
As Neti was speaking, um, I was just reminded of how familiar we sometimes get with God. Um, the fact that we've maybe served Him for 15 years or 20 years or 25 and we've grown up in a house where you probably went to church and you've learned about Jesus and He's forgiven your sins and we get familiar with our sins as well. <laughs> we get familiar with just God is going to be there tomorrow. He's going to forgive me. But um, God just, in the past two weeks, he, he challenged me to think how my life would have looked if I weren't saved. Where would, have I, where, would have, where, 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 would, where would I have been? How would my relationships look? I would probably maybe not be married. Got divorced because I was just so caught up with being in control of my life. I would have probably made a man <laughs> mad um, just by bulldozing over him. I would have lived in fear. I would have tried to control my kids because I wanted to be in control of their lives and not trusting God. I would probably run after everything that makes me happy money-wise. And for a moment when I thought of Lindry not serving God, being lost at the age of 40, I was just so overwhelmed by God, just thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your, your sacrifice that you made for me to eat experience eternal hope, eternal peace here on earth. May I never get familiar with the fact that I didn't have this testimony of, I didn't live this life and you saved me at the age of 16 and nothing worse or nothing bad happened with me. But the fact that I can just imagine Lindry at the age of 40 without you, it would have been terrified. And maybe for a moment you can think of how your marriage would have looked. How your relationships would have looked if it weren't for the Lamb of God. If it weren't for the sacrifice that He made for you to ex experience a freedom. Think about your relationships that's maybe broken. Where God said, go and forgive that person. Don't live in bitterness. we just say thank you Jesus thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy thank you for the lamb the perfect lamb that was slain that we can experience a relationship with you and so if you are sitting here and you know that you haven't been experiencing joy in your relationship with God. That prayer has become a chore. That when you read the Bible, it's just words on a page. That there isn't joy in coming to church. That there isn't joy in even being part of a spiritual family. Could you please put up your hand? I'd love to pray for you.
Father, I pray that you would restore the joy of salvation for each and every single hand that's gone up. That, Father, that be a, a gratitude and a gratefulness for the work that you have done in their hearts. But they will also realize that there is more. There is more love. There is more peace. There is more to be experienced by you. I just pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. That whenever they read your word, the word would come to life. That they would see that that word that they are reading is looking into the very heart of Jesus. It is seeing the world through the eyes of Jesus. That as they read the word, that you, Holy Spirit, will be there to explain each and every single thing that is in the word. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for each and every single person sitting here. And I ask, Father, that you would take all their sins away as they behold you. I pray just for a greater desire and a greater fervency in beholding you, a greater fervency in pursuing you, a greater fervency in prayer that would go on our knees each and every single day and seek your face, seek your heart, not only for our lives, but for the world. That, Father, this message would not end with us, that it would be something that would impact our families over this festive season. It would impact our, the communities that we are a part of. That it would also impact the world. I pray each and every single day we would behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you, Father. In name of Jesus, I pray. Lord of God's people said, Amen.